0: Come on then you guys, sit down if you haven't already. Well, come on, everybody, for those of you who don't know, you going to see, I'll be open to, go to God's Word. And the way that you can be helped today, by having open in front of you, has everybody got a copy, if you haven't, uh, let's have a look. Tommy, you're looking pretty, uh, pretty sprightly. We're going to need to come to the Bible, we've all got. You can get Tommy if you want? we all good. I've got my Zion forty-eight. <laughs> You're going to like this today. You're going to buy this today. Let's find out who's right. Lord, we have your sung. We dare to sing that the word of the Son of God. And so we ask O Lord, that if there's a mismatch between what's come out of our mouths and what we know to be true inside of us, at the deepest recesses of our soul, please, would you connect those two things? Lord, we want to see your worthiness. We want to see your greatness. We want to see your godness. We want to see it in such a way as the very centre of gravity of our lives is shifted towards you. Lord, many of us here, we've got questions, we carry things that we've been facing, and have been going on through the week, even longer through our lives. And yet we want to dare to believe that there is a God who transcended all, and in coming near to him, there is hope for everyone So please that you help, speaker, and hearer alike, for we come to you in the name of the word the of the Lord, Jesus Christ himself. Amen. But well, it makes me enough in just a moment to re a strange, bizarre conversation that I had oh, a number of years ago i I probably told you about it at one point or another. Um, but this dear lady from our community, she had been around, been around the church a little bit, enough to know what we were about, but on this occasion uh, she came uh, She came angry and she came confused. She's like, see, it's not true! What? What did I do? This God business, it can't be true. At which point you'll be interviewed, of which of a myriad of reasons could she possibly have picked to have an intellectual and emotional objection to the claims of the Christian faith that God is gracious and that through Jesus Christ we can be reconnected with him? Because she's a rat! I say, What? And she proceeded to tell me the life story of somebody who had been gathering here with us for a while and had named Jesus as her saviour. It can't be true. Look at the state of her life. Look at the state of her mouth. Look at the state of her heart. That's a good reason to know that it ain't true. Because if God was real, he'd know that she wouldn't feel the peace that she feels. Okay turn to the person next to you and ask them what they would say if that person had come to you. What would you say? What do you think Steve would have said? Have a little go, like one minute, go on. Thirty seconds. <laughs> Do you get the human logic? She's scum. God loves her. That shouldn't happen. If he knew, he wouldn't be fools. Cause I'm not fools. So it ain't true. What would you say? I knew you'd say that. Nothing. I didn't you really do it in your head and your heart. You said, come on, see. Listen, I flushed it that day. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody about spiritual truth and it? I said something like I said something true. I said, well the Lord came to seek and save those who are lost. Is that true? But on reflection I should have said something different. I love your logic because you know what God knows that that person is gone. that person doesn't change quickly enough their mouth is still so full of lies, and yet their death trust in Jesus. So let me ask you a question What does that tell you about God? You see human logic says look at the church <laughs> Look at us. You're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you a good advert for him? Can we be honest? Some of you have just shook your heads. Why doesn't he give up on you? That probably means he's not real. Because if he was, he'd know. God. And after all, according to our worldly points of view, God is interested in gathering a bunch of good people. Isn't that what he needs? Isn't that his life to make good people, and if well you've been around the church for a little while and you haven't quite raised whatever level of goodness that is, depending on whatever you think that is, or what you get yelled at about, then clearly you got good reason not to believe. But is it that he wants good people? You see, you may be surprised at the state of the world, and the nature of the human heart, and what you see in the middle. But I can tell you who's not surprised the depth of the knees and how lost humanity is. That's the rules He's not surprised and the slightest. And if it was that he only gathers the good people, people who've got potential, you know, to be the, the best version of themselves every day and be on a upward curve, do you really want it to be like that? How long would you be sitting in a queue? How quickly for... Tim comes along and says, sir, i really to you. Now the kingdom of God is different to everywhere else. And that's what God's greatness is. And where does it all come down to? The very nature of who the living God is. The God in the Bible, the real God, the God who is there, the God who is speaking and saying people like you, you and me, You've probably got you wrong because you've got me wrong, and I want you to get me right. I want you to listen. And there's those moments in our lives, aren't there, where perhaps if you're a believer in Christ, you, you get a glimpse of who God is and how gracious he is to undeserving people, and you suddenly treasure him again. And you feel like it's a new day, and you escape from the... That those prisons of condemnation and fear that we lock ourselves in, because you consider that all things are possible if this love of God has got me it and it's gone. And you're back in that condemnation and you're back in that fear. So we treasure Christ, we treasure the Lord Jesus Christ. We declare, and we sing He is worthy. Why? Because He knows the worst about us. And He loves us anyway. He doesn't just put up with us. Some of you think you're being put up with by him, don't you? He does so much more. Think about the unspeakable length that he went to to save me. That's my wife. That's not an easy thing. 25 years we've been married. She's been trying. How's that going for yours? Some of you talking about that How How's that go? No, when I was running headlong and persist in that pattern, as fast as I could into my own wisdom and smarts, deciding what I would live for and how I would live, he came after me in hot pursuit, even going to a cross where he would pay for my sin. I wasn't an okay person needing to be be made a bit better, I was a dead person who needed to be made spiritually alive to believe in God. And he came and he rescued me. He made me alive in Christ. <laughs> and that is why I treasure him. I was happily living in a bad place, and perhaps you were as well. And he came for me. Some of you fear that he's got it wrong, that he came for you. Don't you? You think, oh no, one day he's going to look and see. I would run out of chances, I would run out of options. Some of you think you're on spiritual pra- probation, and I know who you are because you've those conversations. And you're like, maybe this is the week when I crack it and I've just do enough to get myself over and get out of probation and I'm in. <laughs> really, do you really think you have the power to get yourself in holy life Oh, you like oh, the idea of it. Right? If you're going to be in, is it going to come from you? Where's it going from? It's going to come from him. So our question today is a wonderful one. Why is it we can be so confident, so secure in his love? And it's going to come from a strange sounding place. And you have to hang in there with me. The center and the heart of this passage is really saying, why the monkeys does the Lord not give up on his 2 bit useless, always wayward, never listening? Wise in their own eyes, people of Israel, two and a half thousand years ago, as they languish in exile, that they brought upon themselves by not listening to him in the first place, why doesn't he give up on them? Why does he write them off as a bad idea? And do you see the implication of this? Is that when we can see why he doesn't give up on them, we will find out why he doesn't give up on us. You want to know the security? The to it is found in our passage in verses 9 through to 11. Let me read it and you're just going to get a bit of a surprise here. For my own name's sake, I delay my wrath. For the sake of my praise, I hold it back from you so as not to destroy you completely. See, I have refined you, though not a silver, I have tested you in the furnace of affliction for my own name's sake, for my own sake, I do this. Did you hear that? How can you know that God is never gonna give up on you? Because you're a project that's worth pursuing? <laughs> for his own name's sake, what's in a name? Some of you wrote that, do you remember who? Who the cop? Oh yes, the is ones, Shakespeare! Learned a little bit of research and some names in here, I thought it would be a bit of fun. (laughs) Let's start with the okay ones. Western analysis they're not here. Chibuzu, do you know what that means? Strong-rooted, yeah? I looked at your name last. No, son of the bear. What did I say about you, Tom? Son of the bear. For the first time in my life, I looked at my surname, it's got an Irish origin. Some of you think it's Debbie, no. Vigilant and watchful. <laughs> I told Crone, is um, laughing, would you like to know the origin of the name Crone, Scottish, C-R-O-N, yellowish. fella, <laughs> just be careful, that's will laugh you first. I looked at the Campbell name, okay. Jane, you are married to one whose name means... Crooked face. Nathan. Ah, ah. Oh, reporting, Taylor. You. You bear the name of one. Young goat. Oh, for the sake of his name. (laughs) You could be a young goat. Oh dear, Let's tell me what's the name Jesus Jesus? What does the name Jesus mean? God's Testament versions. Yeshua, Joshua. God saves. God delivers. Tony, do you want to be known as Yellish? No. Cost money that you know is crooked face. What Matthew says your back. God delights to be known for the sake of his name. Why? The clue is in the name, people. What does he do? Who's he saves. Who does he save? Rats. So we'll see something as we get into this. He is out to prove he is God, not by blowing up bad, unprofitable people, but by embracing them in love. That's what he wants the world to know. That's what he wants the world to glory in. And he will not be defeated in it, even by their unfaithfulness. You can argue that in the midst of his unfaithfulness, this is where you see him living up to his name most. He's non-giving up on way with people. In other words, he would have to strip himself of being God before he gave up on you. For those of you with a tender conscience today, is it beginning to, to stir in your heart that possibility? Are you beginning to dare to hope that all the lies of condemnation that you've rammed into your head and all the fears of not measuring up might not be as strong as his determination To call and save a people. He wants this to fill us up and consume us every moment. Why does he call people who seem like a bad bet for the sake of his name? To show what he can do. To let you know who he is and so that you will know him in no other way. Yes, he is holy. Yes, he is glorious. Yes, he is righteous. But all of that is wrapped up in his person and his posture of gracious, loving, saving. That he does for all those who will listen to the message of Jesus. He doesn't save you and keep on saving you because of your untapped potential. Because you've got something inside of you that he wants to let out. He doesn't stand in heaven going, I believe in you he knows you. He doesn't invite like you to believe in yourself. That will work. But he says, come near to me. For the sake of my name, I will secure you. I will give you a future. I'm going to have to speed up because I care for speed up people. I know I speak fast anyway, but I've got to speed up. Listen, he's going to tell us what we're like, what he's like how he saves us. Does that sound good to us today? I hope it will lift your heart a little bit. So firstly, verses 1 to 8, what we are like, and we don't get off to a good start. Isaiah 48 comes to the point where he's been speaking for eight chapters to the exiled people who are there because they have turned their life into a train crash. It was slow-building. The place where it started was them deciding that they were wise in their own eyes and didn't need to listen to God. They were fooled by their heritage. They were fooled by their religiosity. Can you see it here? And you can pick up the little hint as to what is really going on in their hearts and what they are like. Listen to this, you descendants of Jacob. You who are called, or call yourself, in the original, you call yourself by the name of Israel, and come from the line of Judah. Sounds good. They're in a line of heritage of people who have been blessed by God. You invoke the name of the God of Israel, but not in truth or righteousness. You who call yourself citizens of the holy city and claim to rely on the God of Israel, the Lord Almighty is his name. And it's worth saying in this whole chapter, ten times, ten times, there's, a, there's a, an appeal. Heal me. Listen to me. Now, I want to be staggered by this because there is a living God. He's not hiding me. It, and there's a very, very loud voice. The problem isn't that his voice isn't loud enough, clear enough. In fact, here, what he does is he, he condescends to speak in their language, which would have been Hebrew back then. He, if you like, moves in the direction of baby talk. <laughs> I mean, some of you volunteer at the Church, don't you? You look at the lesson that we're going to be teaching, the kids' story that we're going to tell, and you look at the kids and you see running around here, and you think they're three, four, five, six, seven. How am I going to make this relatable to these loonies? The Lord doesn't have that problem. He has condescending graciousness to speak to those whom He has made. And so he appeals to them. He says, your problem started when you didn't hear me, and now you're not hearing me because you're doing the religious thing. You're taking the name, not in truth. You're making claims about being spiritually wise, but you ain't listening. You want to live out things of your own making. In fact, you've got to remember that the Lord gave, made us with two ears on the outside of that. Why does he make those two ears on the outside of our head so that we can listen to him? But the problem is most of us not don't look like it as physically, but internally, where have you got your ears? They're on the inside of the head. Because who do you listen to the most? There's something in the human heart which likes to set the direction of travel all the own. And he says, I know that you've been doing this from the start. I'm present. I'm the Lord Almighty, the Lord of hosts. and who you listen to? You're listening to you. You're listening to the facts of the world. We live in a very strange cultural moment, don't we? And the cultural moment says this, that the deepest thing that is true about you is what you say about yourself. And people put their mantras together while they claim identities and they say, this is who I am. And God looks at that and goes, really? Now, the most important thing that gets said to you and said about you is not said by you, it's said by him. It's God. It doesn't matter the voices that you have going around your head. They need to be run through the voice. You will correct and you will put right. And when we begin to see that the problem, and the problem in all of our lives, is not one outside of us, it's inside of us. It's what the Bible calls it to me. Last week, we said it was the deification of self, the making ourselves in God's place. I suppose that we could put it this way. It's, we love to decide which voices we listen to. And try to make ourselves it. Verse 3 and 4, we see what that turns people into. Verse 3, uh, three 4, and 5. I foretold the former things long ago, and my mouth announced them, and I made them known. Then suddenly I acted, and they came to pass. For I knew how stubborn you were. Your neck muscles were iron. Have you seen that? I don't you know, when the youngsters are running around here and somebody has the audacity to to tell them don't. What happens to their neck? Who do you think you're talking to? said the three year old. For I knew how stubborn you were, your neck muscles were iron, your forehead was like bronze. Therefore, I, I told you these things long ago. Before they happened, I announced them to you so that you could not say, My images brought them out, my wooden image, and metal gods ordained them. Now, this is a reference back to an instance of the Exodus period that happened with Moses. Do you remember when the chariots were chasing the Israelites through the desert? They went through this blocked off canyon, so you've got 600 plus chariots of, of Pharaoh coming. Chasing them down there with all his armed forces as well. We've got a whole stack of Israelites who are heading in there. They want to get to the promised land. Before it all started, the Lord had said, oh, I'm going to deliver you out. Of course, they believe it. But as soon as they got home, they're like, oh, we've got some potential here. We'll get ourselves back to the So they headed out that way. They followed. And then when they got to the Red Sea, they're headed by a canyon on that side, a canyon on that side, the Red Sea in front of them, and their chariots behind them. They go to freak out moments. And Moses starts to free out. He goes to the Lord, Why do you want us out of the desert so that we get wiped out? And the Lord says, Ah, 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 remember what I said to you? I'm going to bring you out with great acts of judgment. But there's no way for us to go! All you need to do, says the Lord, is stand still and see the deliverance of the Lord. And before their eyes, as Moses lifted up the sack, there was a way for them to go through. And he brought them out and they went all the way through and they went through over to where Sinai was and they stood um, they sat in the shadow of the mountain, delivered out by the Lord to the Lord. He told them in advance what he was going to do, then he did what he did, then he said, Look what he did. And when Moses came down the mountain, what did he call They started making idols "These of the gods that delivered us out. These are the people who these were the images that gave us life. You see, what, what we do is we're appealed every moment by his grace. But we're always trying to attribute that to something we achieved or something we pursue, or something we lay hands of We do that in our Christian lives, in terms of how can I know God loves me? He loves you because he loves you, and we'll look more of that in a moment, but we look at God. We idolise our Bible, not because of the words that we hear from it, but because we get a sense of comfort because we've read it often. done the right thing. Some of the Bible is an old That's terrible. And he knows their hearts and what they do. They're self-opinionated, it works. Their phrases go something like this. I've got this. Don't you look at them to say that? Sometimes we encourage others. You've got this. Sometimes I'm not with the right thing to say. Maybe not all the time. For other reasons why won't open Irish all the is nobody else understands. Which is code language for I'm the only one who sees, I'm the only one who's it as fast. I'm the He's God eight billion people. It's eight or seven. A lot of people in the world. Do you really think you're so unique? That God's words don't trump anything you can say about what you are facing. And we find that so often, don't we? A number of conversations and times where I sit with somebody, and the Lord wants maybe they come with frustration, confusion, or pain. Maybe they're a bit embittered and can't wrestle with their circumstances. So, what we'll do is open up the Bible and we'll go through and and we'll find something that the Lord says. Maybe like, Maybe you need to ask him to help you to forgive somebody. Yeah, and months go by with more confusion, more bitterness, and you think to yourself, "Why didn't he listen? God knows what to say to everyone around us." Of course. When he speaks, when he moves, when he acts, we want kind to of attribute it to other things. So that's Moses in the desert. He says we build idols, and if you're not sure what they are, let me ask you this. I'm a stranger encounter with an idol this week, I'll tell you about it. But here's some questions. If you want to know what you're most likely to trust, what you will listen to most, ask yourself, what gets you up in the world? So look forward to it. Yes, yeah, what gets you up? here's the other one. What gets you down? Can you feel it slipping away? What gets you through those difficult moments? The heaven that you look to? What needs to be in place for you to say, I'm going to be okay? Listen, I'll throw my drink out there. I had a strange moment of joyful elation the other day. Some of you know I, I, I enjoyed training for Fitness events and things like that, and this was fitness testing And I was like, oh, is good. I've hit my goals. No, I didn't just do that. Oh, bloody! I was delighted! I was driving somewhere in the car. Did I put the volume on 50%? What's it to do volume? Whacked it up to 100, baby! We fall on the floor. Give me, me this. I'm alive. And as I was driving, delighted to feel like I could face the future, feeling, oh, I can get up and do it again the next day. It was those words of the Lord Jesus just trickled into my head. Do not rejoice that the Spirit submits you, but rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. Oh, doesn't it name? I set a whole sense of my well being and who I am around the number of what that I can produce when turning my legs in a circular fashion I don't know what I, I it's me. He talks to them about 6 to 8 of improbable things He talks to them about his incredible way of working that defies us taking a hold of him and his way and making him domesticated and controlling it Because we have that tendency to to do that kind of thing. Verse 6, you have heard of things, these things, look at them. Will you not admit them? I tell you something of my ways, and you don't do nothing with that. You do something with that. From now on I will tell you of new things, of hidden things, unknown to you. They are created now and and not long ago. You have not heard of them before today, so you cannot say, yes, I knew of them. You have neither heard nor understood from of old, your ears have not been open. Well do I know how treacherous you are. You are called a rebel from birth. So he's revealing the trajectory of what he is always doing. And and then this strange moment where he's told them, I'm going to deliver you out from this city that you are trapped in as exiles, and the person I'm going to use to do it is an evil despot called um, uh, Cyrus. And they're like, Oh, on how can you possibly do that, Lord? And he says to them all the way through, all the way through the Bible storyline, I will do things in a way to maximise my glory. If I choose to use somebody who is unpalatable to you, maybe that's telling you about my power and my grace. But if I give you any more details with that, you will do treacherous things with me. Your sort of your knowledge of my ways and me doing things you will leverage to try and almost avoid them. That's what you do. And of course each one of us have at one point or another a moment in our life No, Lord I don't know what you're doing right now. Please could you give me a flow chart that reveals exactly why all these things are here. Because then if I understood it I would be able to trust you. And the Lord looks at you and me and goes really? What would you do if I gave you all the details and spelt it out simply? If you know the answer to that, for anybody who's watched Back to the Future, you know what would happen. Remember in Back to the Future, Biff gets the almanac that tells him all of the future sporting events for the next 50 years. What does he do? Does he take it and present it to the United Nations and say, please would you use this for the good of mankind? What does he do? He jumps back in his time machine and leverages it so that he can build his own precious little kingdom on treachery and lies. God knows what our heart is like. And so what he's saying here is, you need to trust me as God, because if I let you in on anymore, you will leverage leverage it to deny me as God. You'll play God in your life. If his goal is that we lean into him and trust him as sufficient for all things, this is the only way to do it. So if you see yourself, you see the human nature. He knows what we like and we can't hide. So we're back to this question, why does he put up with you and me? I know when we sort of going with that it's because we, just, we like to think we're cute, the same reason why we put up with kids peeping in the carpet and you know, their little way It's not because we're cute. It's not I our speaker. Why don't you think God puts up with us? She says, Because nobody's perfect. Isn't that the reason for a perfect holy God to kick you in kick you into touch? But she leveraged it as a reason to say, well, it's God's job to look this moment. Forget his holiness and righteousness and all the evil things you've done to yourself and to other people. Why is it that he keeps going? And this is where the treasure is. What is God's God like? Verse 9 through 11. We We've read it once, but we need to read it again. Verse 9 to 11. For my own name's sake, I delay my wrath. For the sake of my praise, I hold it back from you. So as not to destroy you completely. See, I have refined you, though not as silver. So, you, in other words, they've gone through some hardships in their life so that they can be straightened out a little bit. But you couldn't do it fully because if you if you refine like silver. The whole point of the refining process in silver is you burn off all the dross. What would happen if you try to refine them like silver? What would be left? Nothing. What does that tell you? Let me keep reading. See, I remind you, though not as silver, I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do this. How can I let myself be defamed? I will not yield my glory to another. And in these verses are the secret of your confidence, and the secret is this: the relentless, undefeatable, determined heart of the living God to be gracious to the undeserving, because that's how He wants you to be known. Now, I was struggling because my brain cells are always so. I was trying to think uh, uh, think of an example of this. You'll have to make it your own example as, as, as we go through but I've remembered countless conversations that I've been with somebody and you've sort of known that they've got a particular interest in and a particular thing about their life or their hobbies that they're super enthusiastic about and you can tell they're always itching to show them off and so what you do when you sit in a conversation with them is you try to see how how you can avoid that thing just a fun. how do you steer the conversation away from that particular thing so that you could watch them try to get in there. Do you know what? Am I not the only blur in the room? Have you done that? Sorry, I've got to put another week with the light. If you were sitting down with a living god, what would he be falling over himself to show you? He wants you to see. He's falling over himself to reveal grace. Really, you don't have to do much to have an encounter with God's grace. All you have to do here is open your ears, open your heart, and listen. You don't have to do anything, you don't have to jump around ho- hoops or anything like that. Because he's itching to see his name honoured. And of course, the strategy of the world for overcoming, winning, is showing your somebody was best summarised by Chairman Mao when he says, Power descends sense from the muzzle of a god. In other words, the way that you, you establish yourself as being great, the way you secure a future is by battering anything that gets in your way. Anybody weaker than you, anybody lesser than you. And this is why we live in an upside-down kingdom of Christians, because the Lord comes along and says, watch my greatness be displayed As I rescue and save the worst of rebels, those who are my enemies, that wins me. And even as you think about the kindness and the grace of God to you in uh, in all elements of your life, what do you find your your heart wanting to do? You just want to taste a little bit. Is it true? Could it be true? Could it be true for me? He says, I've refined you. And if I had fully refined you at this stage, there would be nothing left. I'm going to deliver you out from under the oppression of this city using somebody you're disapproving of me for doing, because I use improbable, seemingly unlikely methods to deliver my people. What does that remind you of? We'll come to that in a minute. And you're going to have a change of address. You're going to move back to the land with a problem inside of you. Is not going to change. In fact, this, this temporary, this mini deliverance by Cyrus of you out of this city by this sort of mini version of a rescuer is just a small imitation of something that is going to have to be done for you by the ultimate saving, by the ultimate rescuer. And why do I do this? For the sake of my name. Some people might listen to that and say, "It sounds as like God is on a, an egomaniac and he's, on, it, it, he's an evil despot on a power trip, just wanting everyone to go, love me, love me, love me." But maybe you can consider that uh, the one true God is triune in nature: Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And the Father loves the Son and sees His Word. and the Son loves the Father and the Spirit and sees their work. He sees that all life should be built around them. When we lived in America, there was a phrase on all the billboards that says, America runs on Dunkin'. And we went into a Dunkin' donut, and there was a fat police officer with his side on there, shoving about three donuts. I was like, yeah, America does run on Dunkin'. But the universe and humanity, who do we run on? What do we run on? The living God. He is the reason we're even here in the first place. And the Father was the Son, and the Son Loves the Spirit, and the Spirit was the Father and the Son, and they're all like, you're awesome! We want everybody to know it! Because he you his life! So he pursues his glory, because that is where they are supposed to be. He is the most beautiful thing. He wants us not to live out of our own sense of our own loveliness, but to live out of his love. And it means that when we fail, we do grieve him, but he won't be defeated by that. Because he's going to glorify his name. He is going to save sinners. And when he does that, when he's kind, when he saves, it isn't a sign that we're supposed to be at the centre of the universe, but that he is supposed to be the centre of our universes. So I need to speak to some of you and tell you a little bit about how you can know God loves you. Because sometimes you doubt the love of God for you, don't you? You doubt the love of God. Maybe you've had a day when you failed in a few few of your ways. Maybe you didn't read your Bible. Maybe you snarkled with a kiss. Maybe you turned back into that same addictive set of sinful tendencies. Maybe you were despairing in your heart and for a moment a condemning voice comes in. God couldn't love you. He couldn't love you. You've not read your Bible, you've spiritually checked out onto your phone, you've missed opportunities, you've not prayed, you're not paid your taxes, you've spoken naturally to somebody around you, you've given into that same besetting sin, and in that moment you say, how can God love me? And have you been there? Of course not. And so you struggle around, with a, the memory banks in your head will make you feel love because of this, and maybe you feel lovely because of that, or maybe it's just really cry for people who try their best and fail. Mm-hmm. See, in those moments, we reveal the structure of our hearts that is one of what rock works righteousness, that basically says, if I am lovable, then God will love me. If I change as I think I'm supposed to, then God will love me. And you're riding right the wrong horse the emotions of that every day. That's the basic religious plan of every other religion in the world. It's works righteousness. It says if you go to the right places, if you pray the right prayer, if you read the right books, if you know the right stuff, if you say the right things, then you're in it. But what about somebody like me can right? <laughs> God. The God-centeredness of God is the only antidote to that. He doesn't save you, love you, stick with you, be faithful, not kick you to the curb because of anything other than his radical commitment to go on his own. You have you any idea of sure what makes you? He's not looking at you going, I'm supposed to be given another chance to get to the other. And that's what I God, so I'm not going to be dismayed. I won't let their sin and their unfaithfulness wreck my plans. My name is going to be held up at the end of time. They're going to get to glory. They're going to be carried on the work of Jesus there. They're going to look at each other. They're going to... And then you talk, Steve goes, I'm oh, a monkey, did you get there? And Steve goes, i and go, Phew. So we can make a mistake. And then we're together, we and we're going to look at them and go, Oh yeah, it's all of him. It's all of him. And he did do what he said. And he is faithful. So we want to shout it out in our hearts. He loves us for the sake of his name. On your best day, why does the Lord love you? But everybody repeats after me. For the sake of his name. On your worst day, why does the Lord love you? Louder, when you are unfaithful and wander away, why does the Lord love you? How do you know that he won't keep you to the curb? Do you get it? He can't be unfaithful to himself. He's not going to stop being God. He's going to fulfill his promises. I and mean, if we were to plan a plan the gospel church, some of you would be up out of your seats going, How the you praise Jesus? But more than that, you want to do what comes up at the end of the chapter, which is they just want to shout it out to the nations and tell people, Listen, can I give you a tip for evangelism? Some of you, rightly so, have a heart for people who are lost. And the way that this works is, you, you, your friends and the people that you bump into in the street, your work colleagues, your family, you like, I know they're lost and headed for a lost eternity, I love them, I want them to hear about Jesus. Which is absolutely brilliant. Keep doing it, but here's another motivation. Jesus, his name is worthy. We don't just tell, tell people because they need it, we tell people because he deserves it! Do you get this? And one of the ways that you can know a you're a Christian right now is the name of Jesus is precious to you. And you want other people to hold him in high honour. I've told you about this countless times, but people are like, Steve, how do you how do you like to get a past from from church on Sunday Sunday morning you can go out biking with us and go do the long rides. Like, Why are the monkeys going I want to do that? And they're like, huh? Oh. But surely you don't don't need to go there just one second later. Hold on, what is wrong with you? I want to be with Jesus. You've got terrible in my life. He saves the world. It's, it's It's not a competition. Jesus is wonderful. And he glorifies his name. So why does he love fools who wander? For the sake of his name. Why does he repeatedly forgive and restore rebels? For the sake of his name. You yes, get people? Why does he not cut you off? Because Jesus was. For the sake of his name. That's why I did it in the cross of Christ. Jesus came to save his name. On so the night before the proceedings that led to the cross in the upper room, he prayed to the Father. Do you know what he said? On so, um, days of his earthly ministry, when he led people to grace, when he lifted up the most broken, when he exposed, stowed, died, and the religious self-sufficient. When he forgiven the sins of the unforgivable. When he moved towards the broken. When he is the restoration of newness, and written new names onto people's lives. He prays and says, Father, I have made your name known. Be respectful. And as the Lord spits this community, they are supposed to make his name. Can I let you know? So, if you're believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're supposed to make his his name known? We don't do very well. The crosses. And for everybody who did not make his name great who didn't live for the sake of his name, Jesus came, he did it for them, and he went to a cross, and on churches all around the world, what is being held up? A cross. And everybody looks at that goes, I get it. And the cross is for the sake of his name. And then he calls people like you and me, and he says, I gonna put a new name. on And that name is going to be my name. You're be called Christian. You're going get baptised into the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, which is my pledge to you, that for the sake of my name, you're secure. I'll never let you go. If you have more time, I'll call over. We do the rest of the chapter, but we haven't got time. So what does this leave us doing? It leaves us passion across the world. It gives us a confidence that even though we may be defeated, we never will. We look into a world that thinks all his values are purely and pathetic. And even those he leverages the sleep of the There is stuff going on in your life that feels like it's a dead end. And the root of the cliff. But when you know a God who looks on you look so for the sake of his name, do not dare say in the story. And ultimately a day is coming when the resurrected Lord who is now ascending and in heaven, and he will come back again, demonstrating all that he has done for the sake of his name, and all those who he has picked up and carried with him, we will be declaring. How do you fix it? You're in sovereign. In power and majesty, you have always reigned, and you win. So in the meantime, what can we do? We behold the king's importance. So and overcame our sin. We consider His glorious victory, and we put those words, these words, to you and me, on replay, and repeat in our heads, and we do that in the sake of his name,